0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Earlier this month, we were looking forward to catching up with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell about what Congress was up to, as well as the United States' response to the horrifying escalation in violence in Israel and Palestine. But we had to postpone that conversation when we learned that she was in the hospital for a perforated ulcer. Fortunately, she's now recovering and is well enough to join us to talk about those subjects. Debbie, welcome back to Detroit Today.
1: Good morning, Stephen. It is great to be here, and it's just great to be with
0: everybody. Yeah, no, it's always great to have you here. So, of course, we're really glad that you are uh, feeling better. Do you mind sharing a bit about uh, your experience, though, and talking about what you hope other people will take away from it in terms of, Safe Ways to Manage Pain.
1: So, um, well, I'm going to try to be coherent in telling this story. I am a lesson that even over-the-counter drugs have their dangers. Anybody who knows me knows that I've spent my life warning about the potential danger of narcotics, not taking drugs, being very careful of painkillers. And quite frankly, I have not taken them. I've not taken them my entire lifetime, but I had some an, an implant uh, caused a jaw infection earlier this year. And I had to have a lot of work done on that uh, because the jaw had actually lost bone and had osteomyelitis and was taking Motrin. And I know we all here be careful, there can be side effects. The doctor knew that I was taking it, said he wanted me to be a little careful. Maybe about a month ago, they did another uh, bone graft to try to replace some of the lost bone. So I, I don't stop. Everybody knows that I don't stop. So I was taking Motrin. And I woke up that Friday morning and it was an unbelievable fire. And I still thought I was going to get on that plane and go. And I realized about three hours later that it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse and within a couple of hours I was in surgery because I had a perforated ulcer. Hmm. And I hope that the lesson for everybody is over-the-counter drugs have dangerous side effects. Aleve, um, Motrin, other drugs like that can cause the kind of thing most people, thankfully, don't get perforated ulcers like I do, and I was not ignoring anything. I did not have any pain, but it can also impact your kidney functions in your liver functions. And I've talked to many people over the course of the last couple of weeks who have shared their stories. So to all of us, we need to be educated consumers. When we take over-the-counter drugs for more than a few days, we need to make sure we're talking to our doctors, know what your doctor knows what you're doing, and do it with careful guidance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're glad that... uh... That things worked out too um, uh, for you, but 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 you're right. I mean, I, I, a lot of us take that for granted that you can buy things uh, at the at the pharmacy or uh, the the, the drugstore and take it and not not worry about it. And, and you really should be talking with uh, with your physician about these things and and understanding what uh, what risks are involved.
1: You know, and I, I will say this. One of the, I have been very focused since coming to Congress. Opioid addiction is one of the things I am very, very focused on. It's been one of the issues that I've put a lot of work into. And whenever Francis Collins, the head of NIH, or someone from uh, CDC or FDA is there, I say to them, what are we doing on developing more drugs for pain treatment? Because there's nothing that's safe. And I have had many people talk to me in the course of the last few, well, it's been it's been two weeks it seems like it's been a lifetime like Debbie Dingle staying in the same place for two weeks is almost unheard (laughs) of but um and it it is an issue I don't have the best advice for anybody and pain has its own health effects so uh I'm very much going to stay on top of this going to share information as I get it uh it's a wake-up call for me I've given up Diet Coke and they didn't even tell me that I had to and it is um but I still have infection. I still have a pretty serious you know, infection they're trying to get rid of. So I'm behaving. But it's a lesson for all of us
0: in a yeah. wake-up call. Yeah. So so before all this happened, we were planning to talk with you a couple of weeks ago about the escalation in violence uh, in, in Palestine and what the U.S. response to it uh, should be. Uh, I wonder what you make now that we're somewhat removed uh, from all of that. Uh, of the way that we responded to that situation, and now we've got the violence somewhat calmed down I, I, again. Did the U.S. play the right role here?
1: Well, you know, there, there's some very real tactical conversations, I suspect, that we all need to have. Um, I think I'm very grateful that there is a ceasefire, uh, and we'll have to see what happens in Israel the um, next few days. I have my own personal beliefs and hope that this continues to go in the direction that it does. And we have a new prime minister. Uh, but I'll leave that at that at this moment in time. But I believe that diplomacy, we just lost diplomacy. We kind of blew off the world uh, for the last four years. And I think that diplomacy matters and trying to bring people together. And by the way, a lot of times it isn't done in public, not Everything, especially when it comes to some very delicate, intense kind of conversations between countries on a whole variety of policy issues, doesn't need to play out on the front page of the paper. What you want to do is define peace, you want to address human rights violations, you need to uh, bring aid to those that need it, and you want to stop seeing the killing of innocent people. Uh, During this The last crisis, there were 240 people that died. 232 of them were Palestinians, many of them children, and 12 of them were Israelis that lost their lives during this 11-day violence streak. Um, So uh, the ceasefire, which had many players involved, was critical in an important step in de-escalating the violence and safeguarding lives. But it's not an end to the continued tensions In humanitarian crisis in the Middle East. And we've got to proactively, both Congress and the administration, have to work to stop these immoral human rights violations. We've got to support humanitarian efforts. And quite frankly, we've got to address the drivers of this conflict so we can reach long-term peace and security for all the communities in this region.
0: So so do you worry, I mean, just just going over those numbers in terms of what the casualties looked like uh, and the, the grave imbalance uh, that, that the Palestinian people, uh, you know, shoulder uh, here of the, of, of the burden that they shoulder here in terms of loss of life, in terms of, uh, you know, suffering in, in, in human conditions. Do you worry that the U.S. policy here encourages the continuation of that? uh because of the level of support that we give uh, to Israel, after all, the weapons that they're using uh, against the Palestinian people, uh, uh, most of them, I would say, are are purchased from the United States. Uh, there's a lot of other support that we give uh, to Israel as well. Uh, I find myself uh, you know, really uncomfortable with the extent to which I feel like we are partially, responsible for that imbalance. I wonder uh, if you're having conversations like that in Congress or or with the President.
1: Uh, very definitively, I'm having conversations like that, and I am not gonna play them out in the public because I think, uh, you know, I'm a student, of a graduate of the Foreign Service School at Georgetown, and we learned a lot about the importance of diplomacy. I think Joe Biden has heard a number of us very loud and clear on the need uh, to de-escalate the violence and promote, promote peace and protect human rights. I do not believe it should only be the United States of America. Israel is making a very deliberate decision to try to reduce its dependence on America as well. But I think that because of the critical role that we have played, we are one of the countries that still has a responsibility and can play a role in uh, trying to find a permanent solution so that everybody can live there with dignity, security, respect, and not be fearful of their lives every day. You know, you think about what it's like to be a child, probably quite frankly, on either side, to live in that kind of violence that's just there as part of their everyday lives and many people really did not know of the humanitarian situation in uh, for many of the Palestinians they didn't have access to water they didn't have access to health care they didn't have access to the vaccines and that was one of the first things I did Steve when. Biden became president, wrote to him. Again, I'd written about it during the Trump days, but they didn't really care. Uh, and I'm not trying to be political here. And the president did help restore some initial aid. I've just done another letter um, uh, uh, asking the State Department to address uh, Gaza's humanitarian crisis. We had a uh, conference call with State Department last week um, uh, asking um a a, a number of questions asking for, and you're going to see uh, the same group of us that have been out in front asking questions, trying to uh, find solutions and ensuring that it is a balanced approach. You're going to see us continue to play that role. But I'll also tell you this about Joe Biden. As you know, I know him well. Uh, He isn't going to, he does not believe in uh, making public all of his discussions or, Uh, playing out solutions to these problems on the front page of papers Uh, when he was in Michigan that was a very important day for two reasons Um, not only for being there to make sure we have a strong auto industry uh, but he did know that he was coming to Dearborn the largest home of Arab Americans in this country in the United States he had a very private conversation with Rashida and I when he arrived And um, I, I, I know that he is focused and I think he tried to send signals to Rashida that he cares about her grandmother and that he is paying attention and he loves her passion and her caring. And I think that what happened this past month is a trigger for people to recognize and we cannot ignore this. This isn't just going to go away. It requires immediate ongoing Attention. Yeah. And by the way, this isn't the only. You know, if you look at the Middle East, I've I've been Yemen's uh, uh, Yemen's and real has real crises going on. Mm-hmm. We're working on continuing the TPS status, but the blockade there by Saudi Arabia, we we have to do things there. And Lebanon has very very serious problems. With I was in a meeting with uh, right before I went in the hospital. I've been at the White House. Uh, with a small meeting with Bernie and uh Rokana and myself and Jake Sullivan. And I raised Lebanon. Uh, at that meeting had been on Yemen, but I raised Lebanon. We have a lot of problems in the Middle East mm-hmm. that we simply can't ignore.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. She is a Democrat from Dearborn who represents Michigan's 12th congressional district in Washington. Uh, we're talking about what's going on in Washington, uh, what was going on Uh, in Israel and Palestine and Washington's response to that crisis Uh, in a little bit. uh, I'm going to talk with her about some of the obstructing that we're seeing going on from uh, her colleagues across the aisle, especially uh, in the U.S. Senate. Um, if you want to give us a call and join the conversation, tell us what you think about this uh, situation in Israel and Palestine and the rest of the Middle East. You think we need to rethink our priorities or our strategy there? Uh, or do you just have a question for Congresswoman uh, Dingle about uh, other things going on in Washington? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 one three five seven seven one oh one nine you can also go to facebook and twitter and put comments there and we'll try to include you that way uh, let's quickly go to graham in ann arbor graham what's on your mind hi there steven and hello uh, congresswoman dingle I, I have a question i mean um you know i think sometimes we just have to call a spade a spade we've seen uh in israel's leading human rights organization B'Tselem, in addition to human rights watch they have declared Israel to be an apartheid state. Um, I just haven't been hearing that kind of language from Congresswoman Dingle, And I just want to know, d- does she acknowledge these kinds of uh, human rights violations? And does she support, like other members of Congress have started to do, uh, conditioning aid to Israel, uh, You know, the money that the United States gives to Israel, conditioning that on their compliance with international law and human rights? Mm. Uh, Graham, great question. Uh, Congresswoman?
1: Graham, if you've read my letters, which, by the way, I was writing long uh, before this escalation uh, talked about, I have been talking about the need for humanitarian aid for holding Israel accountable. Um, Again, as I say, I'm having very strong discussions with people, uh, 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 and, you know, the letters that I've written, I'm glad to give you those I have made public, and... I think that my record stands for itself, both voting in the United States Congress, and if you talk to other leaders on the subject, what I do at the White House with this administration, focusing on them, talking to people, my record stands for itself.
0: And and do you think we're headed into a different era, though, uh, of of U.S. I, policy that way? I, I mean, think that
1: people are looking at it, but you know
0: what? I'm going to tell you.
1: And I'm going to stay calm, and I've been... But I'm tired of people who do these message things that aren't going anyplace. And they'll do things that are never going to get a hearing, or why aren't you? I'm focused on results. I'm focused on getting humanitarian relief in there right now. I'm focused on addressing immoral behavior. And that's what I'm going to do. I think that's what my job is going to do, and that's what I'm going to continue to do.
0: Okay, again, Graham, thanks for uh, thanks for the call and the questions. And again, uh, if you want to ask a question of Congresswoman Dingle or talk about the, the Middle East or what else is going on in Washington, 313-577-1019, of course, is the number here on the phones. Uh, Debbie, I want to talk about what's going on in the Senate uh, where the Republican minority now has been blocking some pretty big pieces of legislation, including protections for voting rights as well as... Uh, this bipartisan commission that uh, that was supposed to take uh, shape uh, around investigating the January 6th uh, insur- insurrection. You know, the, the, the frustration is that this is not new, of course. I mean, Washington's been pretty closely divided for uh, quite some time now. Uh, what we see is sort of a seesawing of this, this kind of dynamic where uh, Republicans have a thin majority and can only get a certain amount done uh, they lose that majority, and Democrats get a slim advantage and can't get anything done because uh, the the Republican minority stands in the way. Some people say it's the structure of our government that uh, that permits this to happen, and, and and needs to change. I wonder, I wonder what you make of where we are right now with with that and and with these issues that uh, you know President Biden said he wanted to to make priorities, but that. Uh, the Republicans in Congress don't want to go along with?
1: Well, I think that there are very real challenges of how the United States is functioning or the Senate is functioning these days. Uh, The filibuster, uh, the way that it has turned out, you know, the filibuster as it was originally uh, envisioned and wasn't used that much is you had to stay there. You had to be there all night. You had to talk on your feet and, Somewhere along the way in the last few years, we've made it easy. Nobody has to stand there. You don't have to work and fight for what you're trying to block. And you simply have votes. And now anything that's going to pass the United States Senate almost virtually requires 60 votes. And it's just it's plain not functioning. There are a lot of issues that have to be addressed. Uh, you know, with the announcement over the weekend by Joe Manchin that he's not going to vote for H.R. 1, in essence, just kills any kind of election reform. And we can't stop. We're going to have to look at what that means. You'll see there'll be discussions between the House and Senate leadership about how do you uh, still try to get some very meaningful reforms, like maybe the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, We're going to have to figure that piece out. Uh, When you look at we should have a bipartisan commission that should be bipartisan. It should not be political that looks at what happened to January 6th, which was a very significant and real attack on our democracy. You know, uh, our democracy has survived for more than two centuries, uh, but you cannot take democracy for granted ever. It's been almost 250 years. But democracy requires work every single day, And by the way, it's not just elected officials. Every one of us as a citizen of this country has a responsibility to protect it. Uh, I'm very worried. I think the last four years have seen the fundamental pillars of our Constitution and our democracy under attack. I remember being on rote in school when I talked about freedom of speech or freedom of religion or all those freedoms that we take for granted. You can't take for granted right now. Mm-hmm. People do have to be worried about what they say or they were being targeted or someone they might suddenly find that the Justice Department was tapping into their phone calls or you know, freedom of religion. That's that was one of the most fundamental principles that this country was founded on. And we had travel bans and we're banning people because of the religion coming into this country. Now we're trying to address some of those and I think we have to be very intentional and very deliberate at looking at what is happening to our democracy so that we do not see its demise. I am, you can look at a glass half full, you can look at a glass um, half empty. I am going to choose to believe that we live, because I do believe it, we live in the greatest nation in the world. We've had, some people are attacking it just because we have been so successful, and we all have a responsibility to figure out what's not working, to pull together, to work together, and to protect our great system of government.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to quickly take uh, one more call here. Jim in Southfield. Jim, I've only got about 30 seconds left, but I did want to get you on the air. There you go real quick, uh, Stephen. Thanks a lot. Uh, regarding the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict, has anybody ever talked about uh, rebuild— uh- humanitarian aid without any conditions, sure. But when rebuilding Gaza, did anybody talk about, hey, why don't the Palestinians have elections? See if they really want an organization that has 3,000 offensive, not defensive missiles in store. I hear a lot that the Palestinians and Israelis Israelis are tired of conflict. They'd like peace. That's it. Hmm. Uh, Jim, a great question. Debbie, what do you think of that as part of the solution here?
1: I think everything's got to be on the table. And Obviously, what Hamas did—you um, know—it it, it, everything's got to be on the table. I'm just going to answer it that way, and people—the uh, 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 children, no matter who your children are—need to, I think, deserve a right in this world to grow up feeling safe and not worrying when a missile could come at them mm-hmm. at any time, or someone's going to dislocate them, or whether they have enough water to drink that day or food to eat or if they're sick. So we, we cannot ignore this problem. We have to stay at the table. And I'm one of the people committed to staying at the
0: table. Okay. Uh, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, of course, again, we're very glad that you're on the mend. And, uh, of course, happy that uh, you could join us for this conversation today. It's always great to have you here.
1: Thank you. Take care. Good to talk with everybody.
0: All right, that's going to do it for us today. My thanks to our senior intern, Nora Ryan, for her help in producing today's show. Come back tomorrow for my conversation with award-winning historian and author Carol Anderson. She's got a new book out about the racist roots of the Second Amendment. This is 1019 WDTFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.